I'd like to thank Andrew for his words of welcome. So good to see so many young people gathered together underneath the sound of God's Word. And we trust that the Lord will bless uh, even tonight. It's nice to hear also Ethan and Anna sing, members of our own congregation there. And it's good to see a good contingency from uh, Balamina down tonight to support this preacher and trust that the Lord will come and speak uh, to all our hearts. Andrew did ask me to bring an evangelistic message, a message in the gospel, and that's exactly what I'm going to do tonight. So let's turn in the Word of God. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, turn to Proverbs uh, 29, please. Proverbs 29. And we're going to read just the opening six verses of this chapter together. So Proverbs 29. We're thankful for the Lord's presence as far and, and to have you here. And we just encourage you to give attention to the Word of God tonight. There'll be plenty of time for chat afterwards, discussion, and you can meet with your friends. But just give the moments that remain over to the Lord and focus upon His Word. So Proverbs chapter 29, and we'll commence reading at the verse number 1. So let's hear the Word of the living God. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father, but he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. The king by judgment establisheth the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. A man that flattereth with his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. In the transgression of an evil man there is a snare, but the righteous doth sing and rejoice. Amen. And we trust the Lord will bless the short reading of His Word to our hearts. Let's take a moment, please, and pray. And if you're God's child, you love the Lord, and you are saved, will you pray for the Lord to come and to minister and to speak to those who maybe sit amongst us and are not saved? And pray, Lord, of a word in season for their hearts. So let's unite in prayer. Our loving and eternal Father, we bow in Thy holy, Thy sacred presence. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank Thee, Lord, for this assembly of young people. We thank Thee, Lord, for the privilege we have to gather around the book of the living God. And we thank Thee that this is a living word. It's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank Thee, Lord, for the instrumentality of the word that can get into the very depths and the recesses of these young people's hearts and souls. And we pray, O God, that, that Thou would come by the Spirit and apply the Word. We're not here, O God, to waste an hour. We're not here, O God, just to put in time and to clock our card, as it were. Lord, we want to come and stand and minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. And to that end, O Father, I pray that Thou would wash me afresh in the Redeemer's blood, and that Thou would fill me with the Spirit, by faith I take the promised Holy Ghost. Lord, thou hast said that if we ask, we will receive. And so, Lord, thou art a perfect and a covenant-keeping God. And we shall not doubt, and I do not doubt, for the infilling of the Spirit. And I pray that you would help me to speak unto these young people. Lord, there's young people here, and they're not saved. They know nothing of a work of grace within their heart. They might know all the words, They might know all the doctrine in its proper place, being catechized from their youthful days. And yet they know nothing of what it is to be born from above. The life of God does does not reside within the soul. They have a form of godliness, 
but to deny the power thereof. And we thank thee, Lord, that the gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation. It's the power to change life. It's the power to liberate from sin. And we thank thee, Lord, it is the power to give unto the soul that assurance that sin is forgiven. They're ready for heaven. They're ready for home. So, Lord, look upon us with favor. Look upon this gathering in thy mercy. And we pray that thou would help this poor, this weak preacher. I stand as a candidate in need of thy great help. And we thank thee, Lord, that though we are poor and needy, yet the Lord doth think upon us. So do us good now as we give attention to the word. I pray this all in the Redeemer's name and with an eye to his everlasting praise and glory. Amen. If I was to ask you what's the hardest substance that is known to man, I dare say that many of you would give the answer of a diamond. A diamond is a naturally occurring material, and while it's extremely hard, it only comes in at number seven on the list of the hardest substance substances that are known. It's been surpassed in its toughness by six other materials, some natural, extremely rare, and others synthetic and man-made. The hardest substance that is currently known to man is a substance called graphene. Graphene, it's a hexagonal lattice of the element carbon, and it's only one atom thick. It's man-made and was first developed in 2000. And four, it's 200 times stronger than steel. It's been suggested that it would take an elephant standing on a pencil to break a sheet of graphene that is only the thickness of cling film. Now, that's a hard material. But in the Word of God, we are reminded that man can make his heart extremely hard. In Zechariah chapter 7 and the verse 12, we read, Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, believed to be a diamond, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent by his Spirit by the former prophets. I believe that if graphene had been known at that time, the prophet would have used it as an illustration to point out the spiritual hardness that prevails over the soul of a sinful individual. The truth is presented before us in this text tonight, that man, that a sinner, can make their heart hard against God. I want us to think about verse 1 that we find here in Proverbs 29, a well-known text in God's Word. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. We're going to consider this verse under the, te- the heading, Reproved but not repentant. Reprove, but not repent. And firstly, notice from this verse, the reproving. We find this in the opening words, he that being often reproved. Now, the word reproved, it means to correct or to chastise. It includes within it the thought of giving reproof in the presentation of a case. Now, you only reprove when there is need of correction, and you only correct when there is something wrong. The design of the reproof is to lead that individual to correction, to a reformation, to a putting right of that which is wrong, to effect a change. And the Lord reproves sinful man because he is in need of it. There is a fundamental problem in every individual that is born into this world. We're not right in the sight of God. 
We lack a righteousness. We fall short. That was mentioned in the prayer. We fall short of God's standard. We have a sinful nature from which flows sinful thoughts, words, and deeds. And therefore, God seeks to reprove the sinner, to effect a change in them, to bring about a correction that they might put that which is wrong right. Now, God reproves sinners in different ways. He reproves them especially by His Holy Spirit. Conviction sweeps over the soul of the individual when they do something that is wrong. You know you've experienced that. You do something that's wrong. You inherently know it's wrong. And what happens, you blush. You begin to feel guilt. The conscience utters to them in that own, its own silent, solemn reproof that you have transgressed God's law, that you have done that which is sinful and wrong in God's sight. Yes, God's law is written upon your heart and has been defaced by the fall but it's still there. It's still condemning sinners. And that's why individuals, they know they're doing something wrong. What is it they do? They often take a look around them. They take a glance. They make sure the door's locked. Because the Holy Ghost is repro reproving them. Their conscience is bearing witness that they are not doing that which is right in the sight of a holy God. You know, and you've experienced that. The conviction, the reproving of the Spirit of God. You've told a lie. You've fought. You've quarreled with someone. You've cheated on a test. You've looked at something which instantly you know that you shouldn't have been looking at. And you've been reproved by the Spirit, and your conscience has smitten you. God reproves by His Spirit. But God also reproves by His servants through the ministers of the gospel, through saved parents, friends, relatives who have warned you about your sin in the wages of it. This is all evidence in the case that is presented that you're guilty. You need correction. You're being reproved. The fact that you feel, the fact that you experience reproof, it ought to be a warning to you. If you were good enough, if you were righteous, if you were upright, if you were blameless, if there was nothing wrong in you to correct, if you were perfect, sinless, then there'd be no reproof needed. For we've seen that the purpose of a reproof is for correction. Now, these reproofs, young person, you have known over and over again. Our verse says that he that being often reproved, it's not that it's been infrequent. You maybe only come to God's house now and again. I don't know many of your background. You're maybe only here tonight. It's maybe the only time you come to anything related to the gospel, a youth rally. But even though you maybe don't come to God's house too frequently, the Spirit of God, He's always there. He's always striving with sinners, convicting them, reproving them of their sin. He follows you day and night. He's there reproving you. He impeaches you, as it were, as the Spirit of truth. He legitimately and without contradiction calls into question your sinful character. That's what He does. You know when we are reproved. We're sorry when we reprove, and if need be, we chastise a child for doing that which is wrong. It's a kind act. 
We reprove them from doing something that would ultimately harm them. It's benevolent. It's a mercy. It's love that's shown unto them to reprove the one that is doing something that will eventually harm them. And so it is with the Spirit of God and the servants of Christ. They're reproving. They're rebuking you in love. Now, at the time when the child is reproved, when they're chastised, they, they maybe look at the one who has done the reproving, and they look at them with resentment. They maybe think that the parent or the individual who gave them that reproof is, is an enemy to them, is someone that wants to harm them. But that's not the case. You know, often sinners, when they're reproved by God, and the Spirit is striving again with them, and maybe the preacher preaches something and it strikes a raw nerve for them. Well, the back gets up and they think, you know, that individual, they're an enemy. They want to annoy my happiness. They want to disturb my peace. But the contrary is true. They do it in love to your soul because they know that if you continue rejecting the reproofs of God, living in your sin, well, ultimately it will lead to eternal ruin and destruction. So we have in this verse the reproving. But secondly, in this verse, we also have the resisting. There is a resisting, even though the motive of God is one of compassion, and the intention is one of correction, and the frequency is one of constancy. Look at how the sinner responds. And if you're still not saved, this is how or what you've been doing to God's reproofs. Look what it says in the verse. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck. You've been hardening your neck. It's a hard heart that leads to a hard neck. While it's true that everyone born into this world is born with a sinful heart, a heart of stone, as the Scripture describes us, describes it for us. We're told here of the possibility of the one who continues to reject the reproofs, the strivings of the Spirit of God, the warnings of the servants of Christ. It's possible for them to harden their heart to a greater degree. These frequent reproofs of God you have resisted, and as such, you've become hardened. You've become hardened. Now, if you were left unreproved, as it were, well, then you'd be able to plead ignorance to the whole thing, maybe a certain sort of level of innocence in the matter. And yet, young people, I dare say that you here tonight may be brought up under the influence of the gospel and the things of God in a Christian home. You cannot plead ignorance to these things. God has often reproved you. But you've hardened your neck to His reproofs. What does it mean to harden one's neck? Well, it's figurative language here. It's full of imagery. You see, the sinner that is unwilling to receive God's reproofs, they can be likened to a senseless and a wild bullock. Now, I know I'm in the city, but I, I trust that you know what a bullock is. It's a young bull. Young, he's unaccustomed, as it were, to the yoke. He kicks and he tosses about when the master tries to put that yoke upon him, upon which the plow was harnessed to in the days of old. Jeremiah 31 and the verse 18, 
a repentant Ephraim. And that can be taken really for Israel, but a repentant Israel, they were, they were moaning over their sins, and, and they acknowledged that under divine chastisement, they were like as a wild bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. They resisted the efforts of God to bring them into subjection to His wise rule. They resisted His endeavors to correct them, to reform them, to make them turn from their sin. And they were described, and they described themselves as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. You know, maybe you've been agitated by God's reprimands. He's tried to bring you into subjection, but you know, you're as a beast before God. You're unwilling to be under his control, just like a bull. You see yourself as Lord and Master, even though the reproofs continue. And what happens when the owner of the ox persists and the yoke is eventually put upon the beast? Well, its neck becomes hardened by the continual rubbing of the yoke against its skin. The neck becomes callous with the pressure of the yoke, and eventually the yoke is felt no more. And sinners who continue to push against divine reproofs, they harden their neck. The conscience of the sinner becomes callous under God's divine reproofs. No longer tender the conviction of the Holy Ghost. You can sit, you can sit here with a hard heart, and it does not cause you to blush as it once did. There's no trouble in your soul. There's no anxiety in your spirit. And there you are. You've been reproved maybe from your childhood days, from Sunday school days, children's meeting days, and now you can sit here and you're absolutely comfortable. That's the sign of a hard heart. And dear friend, if you end up with a seared conscience, it's a sign, it's an evidence that God has given you over onto your sin. You're as good as damned. That's the truth of God's Word. You can sit here tonight, and you know it's easy for you to listen to the gospel. In fact, you're maybe not even listening. The heart's become so hard now that you've accustomed yourself to tonight. You're thinking about something else, the week that lies before you, the fellowship that's after, and there you are. You've got a callous neck. Like Israel of old, who provoked God and sinned against Him time and time again, you've become, you become stiff-necked. You see, the neck is that which turns the head of man and causes him to look in another direction, to, to behold a new thing. And that's really what repentance is. It's to turn in another direction, to behold a new thing, to behold the Lord Jesus Christ. But your neck is stiffened, it's hardened, and you don't want to turn from your own ways, and your own thoughts are so deeply entrenched and rooted in your own being that the gospel just washes off your neck. When you hear that the sinner is headed towards eternal destruction and everlasting wrath, it does not trouble you as it once did. It does not trouble you as it once did. You find it easier now to get up at the end of a gospel meeting and to walk out. You can sit in a meeting. You can chat to your mates. You can text on your phone. 
because your neck has become hard. The resisting. Thirdly, in this verse, we have the retributing. The retributing. God's retribution is the just punishment inflicted on someone as vengeance for a wrong or sinful act. And that's what we read here in this verse. He that being often reproved, there's the reproving, hardeneth his neck, there's the resisting, here's the retributing, shall suddenly be destroyed. You know, that's what happened to the old world before the flood. A world which was filled with violence. And that's what happened to the cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah, which had become so callous by their sin that they were doing that which was against nature. Destruction came quickly upon them. In one instance, it was by a flood. In another, it was fire from heaven. But both was a retribution of eternal God, an act of divine vengeance for a sinful act. You know, Pharaoh, he grew more stubborn and more hardened under the rod of God's chastisement. And each time Moses brought a message from the Lord, and we read that he hardened his heart until the time came that the Lord hardened his heart. Beyond repentance, beyond salvation. And he rushed madly after God's people into the heart of the Red Sea to his own sudden destruction. Eli's sons, they hearkened not to the voice of God. They didn't listen to their father's reproofs, and in one day they were both killed. King Ahab was reproved by the godly prophet Elijah, but he too hardened his neck, and a bow was drawn at a venture, and he was slain in battle so suddenly. And the same will happen to you, sinner. Destruction will come finally and irreversibly. Yes, it will come certainly, for God says here, shall, and it will come swiftly because he adds suddenly. Shall suddenly. It might take a while in coming, but when it does come at the last, it will come so swift and so sudden upon your soul that there'll be no time to make preparation. It may come when you're sleeping may come when you're driving in the car. And God's sudden destruction comes to you. It will come unannounced like a thief in the night. In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 15, we have similar words. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. That's what the word destroyed means here in Verse 1 of chapter 29, it means to be broken, to be shattered in pieces, to be crushed. In the ancient pictorial Hebrew here, as he used to write way back before letters and before words were formed, but they did it in pictorial, in a pictorial manner. And this word was represented by a burst seed. It was the picture of a grain of corn that was crushed under a millstone on the threshing floor. And those who continually harden their necks, those who resist the reproving and the striving of the Spirit and do not fall upon Christ by faith will find that He, the stone which the builders rejected, will fall upon them and He will crush them to a powder. That's what He said. That's the words of Jesus Christ, sinner. If you harden your heart and you die in the condition 
that you're born and you will experience the full, fiery, vengeful, holy wrath of God, crushing you, bearing upon your soul and your body throughout all eternity in the lake of fire. And for you, there'll be no excuse. The warning has been uttered, and your guilt is doubled because you've spurned God's reproof. John Trapp said, If men harden their hearts, God will harden his hand. And you will feel the heavy hand of God's justice fall upon you in everlasting destruction. He will retribute, he will visit vengeance upon you, just punishment for your sin. And you will find yourself that you have stepped over the prayers of your loved ones. You have slighted the gospel invitation. You would have suppressed the warnings off your conscience and despised the blood of Christ, all the while hardening your neck. I wonder, is there someone here tonight like that? You've come along for whatever reason, and and we're thankful for that. But you have determined tonight you're not going to get saved. There's a hardness there even before you come in. And you're hardening even more and more as we sit here thinking, is he nearly finished? Well, I am nearly finished. You're hardening. Such an individual... Like that, God suddenly destroys. He exercises His retribution upon them in sudden destruction. So we thought about the reproving, and we thought about the resisting, and we thought about the retributing. And finally, tonight, I want us to think and want you to notice the remedy. The verse tells us that the hardened sinner is swiftly and certainly destroyed and for that individual, there is no cure. It says, and that without remedy. It's too late. There's no purgatory taught in the Bible. Nor is there such a place as an invention of man for the control of the masses and the extraction of, of money. There's no reincarnation. That's the mystical conception of man's subjective imagination. There is no return. There's no second chance. There is no opportunity if God suddenly cuts you off in destruction. This is no dress rehearsal, young person. There is no other time. There's no other moment of opportunity given to you but now. So final, so irreversible is a tormenting eternal state of the damned. Job, we're warned, and Job, beware, beware, because there is wrath, lest he take thee away with a stroke, then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. You see, in a Christless hell, not even, not even the great ransom price of Christ's blood can deliver you from the bottomless pit for opportunity for such an individual as past. Now, while that is true, there's a wonderful implication in this verse, for you are not yet destroyed. God hasn't come upon you with sudden and swift destruction. 
Take that as a mercy from him. Don't take that as an opportunity to continue on sinning, but take that as his mercy and his grace and his love to you that he spared you. And you're still in the day of grace. There is still an opportunity for you to be saved. There is still a remedy which you can partake of. The word remedy in this verse, it's another word for medicine or a cure. A cordial that is sweet, sweet to the taste. And how sweet the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what I want to say to you tonight. He is the remedy. Christ is the medicine for your sin-sick soul. The Bible tells us that on Calvary, He was crushed. He was crushed for the sake of sin, not His own. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised. He was crushed for our iniquities. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ was put into the mortar. And the pestle of God's eternal wrath crushed his soul with judicial everlasting torment. And that's what happened there at the cross. And he did that in the place of sinners. He did that that they might be delivered from everlasting destruction. There is a way, young person, for your sins to be forgiven, to be assured of heaven. And that's by turning from your sin and trusting in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. That's the cordial of the gospel. The gospel is not a bitter portion. It's not a hard pill to swallow. There is one. There's one who lived a sinless life and died an atoning death and quenched the everlasting burnings with his own precious blood. And he did it out of his great love. This is a message that ought to soften your heart. And I ask you tonight, why are you so impenitent? Why are you so indifferent? Why are you so calloused? This is the gospel remedy. And it must be taken in time before it is too late. You know, there's only two things that'll break your heart, that'll soften your heart. Neither be the wrath of God, as it crushes you to a powder in eternity, or else your heart will be softened by the tender and the sweet influence of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The simple reality is this, sinner. If you walk away tonight from the reproof of God and the gospel, it invariably follows that you harden your neck just a little bit more. And who can tell if God's sentence for a hardened neck, sudden destruction will come upon you? You know, history is full of those who ignored the warning signs. Was it not said of the Titanic that they warned or they ignored the multiple warnings of the ice fields, and yet Captain Smith plowed on ahead to his and many others' destruction. God is warning you tonight in love. 
He's reproving you with the design that you might be corrected, that you might be righteous in His sight by trusting in His Son. I wonder, will you once again ignore the warning? Well, I caution you to beware, because our verse tells us, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. May the Lord give you grace to come to His Son tonight. And as His servant, I make myself available. I know there's tea, there's refreshment, just whatever it might be. But if you want to speak to me, you do that. Speak to Andrew as well. It's why these meetings are convened, that sinners might be saved, that saints might be edified. If you want to speak to me, God's been striving with you. The Spirit of God has been reproving you. And there's a softening in your heart. Will I make myself available? You can come and have a conversation. We'll open up the Word of God. And we'll look and turn to Jesus Christ. But we'll bow for prayer. And we'll give thanks for the food as well. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we bow before Thee. We thank Thee, Lord, once again for every young person that's been gathered underneath the sound of the Word. We thank Thee for their attention. Lord, if there's those among them tonight who have been reproved by the Spirit, and even by me, Thy servant, we pray, Lord, that Thou would cause their hearts to be softened, that they would not harden their neck, become so callous that the gospel and Christ and hell and heaven means nothing to them, as all they're interested in is the things of time and sense and of this world. O God, I pray that Thou would speak, and O God, would have mercy, and that they would come and partake of the blessed remedy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank Thee for those that know and love Thee. We thank Thee for those that have a desire to serve Thee and to warn others, and not only warn them, but to tell them of the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray that You'll bless Your dear children, and You'll encourage young people in these days. These are dark days, they're difficult days, but Lord, You've not given us the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you've given us that love and power and a sound mind. I pray for your young people, that, Lord, that they would be filled with the Spirit and that you would use them in their own day and generation. Thank you, Lord, for the provision of refreshments. We pray that you'll bless them to our bodily use. Lord, watch over these young people. Lord, keep them safe on the way home. May they not be doing anything foolish. May they be sensible and aware that there is but a step between them and death, and keep them all safe. Take them to their homes in safety and watch over them. So hear our prayer. Thank you for thy blessing upon us this night. For we ask this all in the Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen.